Wow. So Elvis walks into the lounge. He just walked right, just right in front of the stage, about uh, right in front of me. Wow. Right? And, and I said, oh, holy shit, i got to play my solo on the Kings here. <laughs> <laughs> Are you, I'm 21, 22 years old, but I'm a, I'm, I'm a person of pressure. Welcome to another episode of Chic Compass Connection. This podcast will give you a glimpse into the window of the popular Chic Compass magazine, where we feature art, music, design, fashion, dining, and all things chic for the culture-starved audiences of the world. To view our magazine online, visit chiccompass.com. That's C-H-I-C-C-O-M-P-A-S-S dot com. I'm your host, Jamie Hosmer. Let's introduce today's guest. Cedro Garcia is a guitarist, singer, and composer who is best known for his band Cedro's Armada. Cedro's Armada, originally called The Sneakers, was formed in 1960. Originally from Albuquerque, New Mexico, the band first appeared in Las Vegas with singer Sue Thompson in 1963. The band began a long run opening for headliners like Louis Prima, Della Reese, Billy Eckstein, Jim Neighbors, Barbara Eden, George Burns, among others. Cedro's Armada remained a top draw in Las Vegas, where they were the first to play rock and roll music in the lounges and dressed more like rock stars than in the powder blue tuxedos of the day. In 2011, Cedro's Armada was inducted into the Las Vegas Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Today, Cedro is currently writing and recording with former Armada musician Cliff Fields, and they're publishing their songs into their own company called Ben Claw Publishing. Cedro Garcia, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jamie. That was a great intro. Oh, man, I'm so happy that you're here. There's so much to talk about. Um, There's so much history around you and, and your band, Cedro's Armada. But let's start... With the sneakers. Well, let's start with your childhood because oh, I, I think you're one of 14 well, children? Yeah, I, I had, uh, well, yeah, 12 survived. I, I had actually 10 sisters and three brothers, but two died at birth. Wow. So it was just like I was all girls around me all the time, you know? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> of okay. course, that's why I always ended up loving girls, chasing <laughs> girls my whole career. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that. You actually, you were really into sports. Oh, yeah. That's, uh, I come from a small town named Willard. Willard, you know, like the rat. Uh-huh. Okay. And, uh, How far from Albuquerque? It's about 68 miles southeast. Okay. And and um, I'll, it was there's only like 135, 140 people there. They all work for the railroad. Okay. And we were all related, so there was no getting no girlfriend or nothing. <laughs> you know, I, I started liking this girl. My mom says that's your first cousin. <laughs> I said, Oh my God, how about that one? That's so your second careful. cousin, and down the line. You right? be careful. But a- anyway, all we had to do, even so, uh, by, well, first of all, was, I started playing the mandolin at uh, most like six, seven years old. Wow. My dad was a musician, so he'd, he, he'd leave all these instruments in the closet, and he'd say, do not touch the instruments. So, you know? of course, you grabbed them. So when he was gone to work on the railroad all week, me and my brother, Sal, would sneak in there. We learned to play all the instruments and all their songs. When they were rehearsing, we were in the other room playing with the mandolin, and, and he was playing the accordion. Okay, so there's mel- mandolin, accordion. Was there a piano in the house? No. No piano? No. No, later on, later but on. they never tuned it up. 
<laughs> There's no piano, t- no piano tuners in that area. So what? So what drew you to sports? What drew me to sports was that there was nothing to do for us except the music. But on like in the, during the summers when the weather was good, because we got a lot of snow there, um, we played baseball. In the summer. Okay. Later on in, in the wintertime, we played basketball. So I uh, I became a pitcher and a, a real decent uh, natural basketball player. I mean, it, it was easy. It was so easy wow. for me to score 40, 50 points on, against six, seven, uh, seven foot guys, six, ten guys that I played against in Is college. Is that right? Yes. Uh, I, I, could, I could jump out of the building. I could slam it light. I was I was six two and a half. I've shrunk about two three inches, <laughs> <laughs> but but not so not a short guy, but but not the tallest. No, but I was I was tall for most Hispanics in those days. Okay, they said, "Well, that cedar's growing like a post, didn't he?" <laughs> wow, skin, and skinny. So that so that drew you to basketball, and you got a, you got a scholarship, right? I got a scholarship to, to many. I I was on. Uh, Dell Magazine, All-American High School, All-American. Okay. I, I was first team on that because I was averaging like in, um, in high school about 34 points and about 12, 13 rebounds, you know. And um, so that, at, after that, I, I got offers from major schools, UCLA, USC, Texas, and I ended up going to St. Joseph's in New Mexico. Okay. Because I wanted to play music. I had the bug in me. I didn't have a band yet. I was still playing with dad. Wow. So and at that point, you're playing with, were you playing with members of your family in a band? My, my dad. Your my, dad. My dad and a couple of guys from uh, uh, towns around us, you know, they all come out and, boy, I say, ah, we got to play tonight, half drunk. I say, oh, <laughs> Jesus. But they'd get up there and play, you know. We'd, okay. We had no singers. My dad, it was all instrumental. Okay, so you're just playing instrumental music, instrumental. you and your dad. And I had to play bass and guitar at the same, at the same time, and somehow I figured out to lower the, uh, the keys on the guitar, and later on I put thicker strings on the uh, E and the A, and I played... Wow, so you're playing a guitar, but and you're playing the bass line at also, the same time. And right. I, learned to, I learned to play a walk bass, because they played a lot of uh, what they call jitterbug okay. swing songs. And what I, instrument is your dad playing at this time? He's playing saxophone. He's playing saxophone. Saxophone, and my brother Sal was playing. He picked up the sax like overnight. My wow. brother. And and Jerry will tell you, Sal is probably even today, for his age, uh, in the top ten players in this town. He's well, amazing. He's amazing. So how? Okay. So how does that go into the sneakers? How does well, the sneakers get formed? Well, the, the sneakers got formed. Uh, when I when I graduated from high school, I came to Albuquerque to go to college at okay. St. Joseph's. Okay, and my brother Ray was a barber there, and he was a drummer, and and, uh, and he says, "Let's put a band together." I says, "Okay," so he he started it, and and uh, so we we became the Sneakers uh, in that. And now, what was the uh, that was nineteen sixty? How did you get the title, the Sneakers? Well, I, I was going to St. Joe's, and we didn't have a name. So we put out a little flyer saying, what do you think the name of the band should be? We were all wearing sneakers, right? Sneakers and cutoffs. Okay. <laughs> 95% of the papers came back, how about sneakers? <laughs> so that was it. That was it. It stuck. Yeah, that was it. it. That's perfect. Yeah. I love that story. And, and, uh, and so, that, you know, but it had a, downs, uh, a downside to that because, you want me to go on with the 
story about the sneakers? Yeah, sure. Okay, as we started working, after we did the Jim Neighbor show and all that, we were still the sneakers, Beverly and the sneakers, and then Beverly and Cedro with the sneakers. Okay. Um, we play showrooms all over the country, Puerto Rico, the Virgin Islands, New York, uh, Miami, showrooms on our own. But let me, let me back up a minute. So originally, though, the sneakers, uh, it was your brother's? Mm-hmm. It was your cousin, My two cousins, and, and and a friend of yours, right? And and, and okay, it was it was me, Sal, Al, Willie, uh, uh, Tom Cross on drums, and Beverly, six of us. So Beverly was also in the sneakers. And she joined around sixty-two or three. And, and how did you how did you meet Beverly? Oh my God! There was this bouncer at this place called the Far West of Gogo where we worked. That was our house gig. Beverly and Brown. Beverly Brown. Yeah, Beverly Brown. And he says, you know, you guys should add a girl. I said, I know this girl. She's 17 years old, and she's amazing. And he kept bugging. And the guy was about seven feet tall. He said, hey, Cedro, I'm going to bring that girl in tomorrow. You know, I said, holy shit. You know, and uh, so the, he comes in with this, and this girl's like tall, you know, very attractive. You know, and she gets up and sings downtown okay. at 2 o'clock. Okay. And then and she came back, and then she did something else. She comes back two days later. We did like four songs with her. So my brother Ray on drums says, why don't we just hire the girl? She's doing every other song with us. <laughs> so that's how that happened. That's how that happened. That's how that happened. She was, and the response, she immediately started talking to the crowd. Okay. She was a natural at fronting the band. Okay. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Um, so the sneakers, uh, okay, tell me about how the Sue Thompson connection happens well, with the sneakers. Okay. Sue Thompson was working in Albuquerque at, uh, at a uh, dinner club there, and my brother Sal was in the van with the, s- the spirals, they were called. You know who Ted Needley is from uh, Jesus Christ Superstar? Yes. He was the drummer. Great, great, great singer, wow. this guy. So the, so the guitar player gets drafted. And so they, and they were coming. We were going to go to Hawaii, but there was a week in between. We came to Vegas, actually. I had never been to Vegas. And uh, we uh, stayed at Ferguson's. That's where everybody stayed in those days. Okay, Ferguson's is probably still not, not they, around now. They, they got rid of Yeah, they, okay. they imploded that. Yeah. We're talking 1962, Yeah. And so we rehearsed for a week, went to Hawaii with Sue Thompson. And um, now this is before she had hits, or no? She was al- she already she had was hit. already pretty oh, she, famous. She went back to the fifties with Sue hits. Thompson had hits. She had a hit called Norman. A uh, couple yeah. couple of big hits back in the yeah it was late late fifties. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And uh, so then, then we we get back from Hawaii, and there's and there's a a, a week she wants to do at at the Sahara. And. She packs the room. She's a star, right? And, and we're the feature band. She used to feature. We used to do tons of choreography. Okay. I mean, tons. We could dance. Okay. Know? And uh, so one night, I'm sitting there, and uh, Arvid Nelson, the entertainment director, how did I remember that? <laughs> <laughs> Arvid Nelson's sitting uh, uh, to, the, to her left, and I'm sitting to her right. And he says, Sue, I really like you. So I know your book, because she was. He says, would, does that band work by themselves? And, and she says, ask the leader. He's right here if he wants to work here. And he says, you know, in about a month, a couple of months, I got a month open. And he says, I'm shaking. I mean, my band playing in Vegas for a month? Are you kidding me? So that's how it started. That's how it started. But then we left. 
we left and started going to all these clubs in California. And we, we did an audition for Dick Lane at, at the, at the uh, Nightlife Club in Van Nuys, California. How did I remember that? Man, Mary, see? it's working, yes, Jamie. Yes. It's working. <laughs> and and uh, so he loved us. So here we go to Harris, which is where we met Jim Neighbors. He was in the showroom. He, he saw all these line, people lined up to see Beverly in the sneakers. And so he's speaking over there, and I could see him. And eventually he got in there, and, and he saw part of the show, had the, the maitre d' take him up to our dressing room, and he says, golly, how you know he talks? And he really talks like that. <laughs> <laughs> but he sings like an operatic singer, you know? And he says, I'd sure like you all. He says, would you come be on my show? We in the showroom with him. So we started doing the showrooms in Lake Tahoe. started opening up for, for him. Jim Neighbors. And, and that took us to open up to, to the, a, a lot of people. George Burns, uh, Barbara Eaton, you name it. You know, a lot of people. So yeah. I want to I paint the picture a little bit of of what you guys did on stage because you guys were a real show band. You yes. guys were not just up on stage, standing there, playing. No. You guys were dressed to the nines. You had choreography. You had, you had comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so describe your act. Well, you know, in those days, there were so many good show bands. I mean, you name it, from Louis Prima on down to Delores, Billy Eckstein, all of them. The, uh, and in town here, there were bands that weren't famous in, uh, worldwide, but they were famous here. Right. So, so uh, we thought we were pretty damn good coming out of Albuquerque because we were the hottest band there. So, oh, we can rock out. We didn't know nothing when we saw these bands. Says, Holy noodle, look at that. And we picked up this and that there and... And we actually almost got fired at our first gig at Diamond Lills in Riverside, California. And what was that for? Well, the reason was that we'd do, we'd do two, two couple of songs with Beverly, and then she'd walk off the stage, and then we'd do a couple in the morning, she comes back on. So the owner says, you guys are all doing this all wrong. Why are you doing that? He says, the girl says, don't you realize that when she comes on, everybody lights up, and she's talking, and everybody's listening? And, and I says, no, I didn't realize that. But can we start rehearsing here? And we had to. Re- they had a place upstairs. Had okay. To carry all stuff up there. We to rehearse. We rehearsed every night. We get off at one o'clock. We rehearsed till five five thirty every morning for a whole week. Came back, and because we were going to close that week, came back the following week because we went to Cucamonga and came back mm-hmm. and we kept rehearsing, kept rehearsing. And he says, "Well, you guys putting me on that first time you worked here." You couldn't have gotten that good in the two, three weeks. And says, sir, we rehearsed every day. Wow. And from then on in, I, I imagine Beverly was on stage the whole set. All, oh, yeah, all the time. All she, the time. She <laughs> couldn't get her off sometimes. So, I mean, that was, back then, that was kind of the norm. It, people had show bands. Yeah. And, and so um, that's what everybody did. Now, when did you guys kind of get the idea of, you know, we don't want to wear tuxedos. We wanna, we wanna, we wanna dress yeah. like rock stars. We're gonna make our own clothes. We're gonna do this. Mm-hmm. Wh- well, we were all wearing all the beetle jackets with the high-heeled uh, shoes, you know, and everything, and like everybody else. And um, we work, we worked with Billy Eckstein in uh, mm-hmm. in um, Lake Tahoe. And this man was dressed to a T. And, and I, I turned to Bev and I said, you know what? 
I think our band should dress like that, and you should have something made that matches our our suit. So we got a name, a guy by the name of John John Rue. Okay, I don't remember these things. He's an Asian guy, and and uh, he started making our clothes for us, and and they were expensive, but but it was worth it because as the better we got, the better we dressed, the more we were making like in sixty five or six. 10, 12 grand a week and up north in Tahoe and Reno. Wow. Cause we, but we were drawing as much as Louis Prima or, or Paula Revere and the Raiders, all those people. We were drawing as much or more. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that's that's a good paying gig for bands today. Yeah. Well, we <laughs> made more than that doing uh, showrooms, you know, and I always gave my band down the middle. Maybe I'd keep 50 bucks. I, but I never felt right about it. You treated everybody well, that's more what, than fair. That's right? why everybody is lasted in my bands. They say, how, how come they never leave you? Says, because I treat them like I want to be treated. Yeah. I imagine that was um, like a family. It was. Oh, totally. Absolutely. Right. You know? um, so Vegas in the 60s and the 70s. How... How can you? How could you describe how different it was back then to to now? I think the difference was that uh, a lot of the mob people were in town, you know, behind the scenes. Yep, like Rosenthal and those people. They behind the started. They out. really were running the casinos, yeah, right? Yeah, and so therefore, the, a lot of their kumbas would come in to see the show one night at the Sahara. They'll probably laugh at this. The guys. You guys know my way? Says, yeah, we knew it. Says, yeah. He had a girl on the side of him, had a coat over his shoulders, and had champagne. He was, you know, like in the movies? Yeah. And yeah. so we played my way. He throws out some chips, you know. And about, right before we were done, he says, play my way again. I says, ah, next set. And he says, chips, right? And then, you know, money talks. Doesn't matter what you do. Uh-huh. Money talks. So I says, it was play it again. We ran off that that set or a couple sets later with about forty eight hundred bucks. Wow! In tips. <laughs> wow! Just kept throwing them up. Just, we played my way that those three nights that he was there probably about twenty times. But you know, a lot of people that I've speak spoken to that performed back in the sixties and mm-hmm. the seventies um, all say the same thing. That that entertainers were treated great. so much better back oh, then. Oh, it was, it was great. You it know? was great. Yes, everybody made money, and uh, all you had to do is mo- first of all look good. You yeah. know, because people here with their eyes, you know, they don't know really know music. Most of them, right? But what they see you up having fun and jumping around and dancing. They say, "Boy, that was a really great show." Even some of our worst shows, but we were still doing our thing. But we were into it. Man, you guys kicked butt tonight, and I said, oh, yes. <laughs> so where, where did you learn, how did you really learn how to play guitar, and, and how did you learn to lead a band? Well, uh, okay, let's go with the guitar first. Uh, I picked up the mandolin, and, and then my dad was starting to bring guitars in. I was so small. I remember doing a, a, a gig with my dad. That it was a big uh, box guitar, and I, my hand could barely go over and reach the play you know and I fell asleep on the uh, br- one of the breaks <laughs> I can still remember my mom carrying me off the, the stage when it was we're done I was asleep <laughs> you're how old are you at this point I was probably about seven or eight wow I started playing with uh, my dad uh, every weekend on 1949 man and uh, and it just came natural 
I okay. Don't, I don't know how. So you never, you never had any formal training at all. No, on no, the, no. And, and uh, I don't know if you've ever heard me play or not live, but I, I can play. Uh, I, if you do so, a song that I've never heard, do it through once, and my brain says I got it, I'll follow you. Wow. And, yeah. And I know all the old jazz songs. I don't know where I learned them, but I know them. Wow. I sit with all these guys, sitting with these guys all the time. <laughs> so it just came naturally to Total, you almost like like you said basketball came naturally totally to you totally naturally and i treated my bands like like the, like a team I, I i was the like the star scorer on the team i'm the leader of the band and we're, without those guys we can't win you know it's because uh i got to plug this i'm doing a a, a project okay it's going to be Cedro's musical journey. Okay. And I'm starting with, I found songs from 1949 that we played with Dad, and we'll start with there and go all the way to now, and maybe not so much to make money, just to maybe get the money back. It's going uh -huh. to cost a couple bucks. Uh-huh. And I'm up to the 70s now, 50s, 60s, 70s. Okay. And oh boy, sometimes you don't realize how many talented people were in your band, you know, or you kind of forget, oh my God, mm. I might have to have like do like 10 CDs or something. Well... <laughs> Speaking of CDs and speaking of recording, um, you guys you guys did a lot of a lot of recording over the years. Yes, and you you were just telling me before we we started recording that there were some songs that actually came your way that you you guys passed on. Yeah, right. So talk about that. We, we didn't have the the vision of a songwriters that songwriters have. You know what I mean? He said, nah, we'd hear a demo with a guy just on the keyboards and his voice, and his voice like crackling, whatever, you know, or a guy on guitar. <laughs> and we passed on, like, Take a Letter, Maria, uh, By the Time I Get to Phoenix, all those uh, songs that, what's his name, wrote all the songs. Is that Jimmy Webb? Jimmy Webb. Matter of fact, I, I had the tape that Warner Brothers gave us, and I just recently, last year, sent it back to Jimmy Webb. Oh, my goodness. Through a friend of mine, and he couldn't believe but that was still around. So you guys were presented with these songs. All his songs. All his songs to, to do, and, and you passed on them. Passed Wow. Wow. And, and, and that's why it, it, it opened my, my mind to like, if somebody wants to play something for you, let them. Right. Because I was always like, oh, no, I've got to do my songs. Mm. And, and then they tried to change them. I said, oh, you can't change my song. But I went to a little uh, seminar. In L.A., when Joe Zito was my manager, Joe Zito was also the musical director for, uh, um, ah, it'll come and, to you. It'll come to me. Uh, anyway, they're, they're, they're writing, there was Willie, there was Glenn Fry, there was uh, Mac Davis, oh. and several other guys. Was, was that just, like a songwriting seminar? Just, yeah, and I went. And, and, and boy, I learned a lot. I learned a lot, you know? And, and yeah. I never shopped my songs. But okay. I was telling you, I got a couple of songs that I think will put you in a, a path like Bruno, uh, Bruno Mars. You know, he got real popular by doing a certain yeah. deal. Oh, yeah. I think you got to go and not that much that, but kind of in between a that little bit there. and what you normally do. Ah, I'll take a listen to him. I'll take a listen to him. Yeah. Um, I want to, you have a quote here that I want to read um, that I want you to talk about. Okay. And you say, Work hard, be true to yourself, never play down to the audience. Absolutely. And have fun doing what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So never play down to the audience. Explain that. Okay. Sometimes. 
Um, sometimes musicians uh, try to impress musicians in the audience. Jamming too much in solos. People go, oh, is it over yet? You know, they're taking a little nap. They don't know what the hell all these keyboard players are playing. They're, they're jamming for uh, 24, 48 bars, whatever. And they lose a lot of that. That, to me, is playing. you got to look at your audience. If they're all musicians, it's cool. But if it's half and half, yeah. you know, do half and half of just a regular song, and then jam the other half. But we we got we got to we could look, or I could look at an audience, and I could I got pretty good to picking out songs that I felt they would like. Hmm. We get a lot of standing innovations a lot of times in our sets, and I was king, they used to call me King Medley. I can put a medley together, you, you, no matter who. I, I can do 10, 12, 14 songs in eight or nine minutes. Wow. Just leading one into the other. So you didn't necessarily have a dedicated set list all the time. You'd kind of. I never had a, a set list in front of me. So you just call songs day. out. Yes. Yep. This day. Yep. So I say, hey, September, one, two, three, four, dun, 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 whatever, whatever the song. And they were all ready because they knew that if they were going to get their job, they had to be ready on, on their toes. And that's what they like. Yeah. And yeah. I liked it too because every audience is different. That's right. Every night's different. Every it's, audience is different. Certain songs that uh, worked last night, oh, this song is just falling asleep. Man, don't do all them ballads and stuff. Mexican ballads and stuff, you know? Don't do Malagueña for, for 10 minutes. Right. <laughs> right. Um, so when does the sneakers turn into Cedro's Armada? In uh, the early 70s, uh, Beverly left the band. And... Uh, and that's when we became the Armada. And at the time, my, my uh, manager was Frank Ross, who used to be with America Trio, a very famous band in Nevada. One okay. Of the top, they were compared to uh, Louis Prima all the time. Okay. And, uh, and he says, that we're looking for a name. He says, you know, he says, the Spanish Armada had six ships. And he says, your band is six people. He says, why don't we call it the Armada? He was brilliant, you know? Yeah. I said, yeah. So that's how we got the name. That's how you got the name. Yeah. That's a great idea. Yeah. Um, and so uh, did you replace Beverly in the band? Oh, yeah. We got a girl from New Mexico. Her name was Denny Lynn. Okay. She is a screamer, man. Okay. Yeah, she was a screamer. She was a really good singer. And at the, so at the time when you were doing, you were opening for a lot of these headliners, mm -hmm. were you at the same time playing in lounges as well? No. So, you know, was there a transition there that happened? Well, what, what happened when we say we're open for all these people, like in the lounges, uh, there'd be maybe like we're talking Billy Exxon or Della Reese or uh, I played a lot with Little Richard and Fast Diamond. I oh, love wow. those guys. I wow. love those. I grew up with them, you know? Man. And I played with them in Albuquerque when I was a kid. And um, Wow. And it, it's like, um, that was a question... So, the sneakers was doing a lot of opening for for headliners. Yeah. Um, but was it at the same time that you guys were playing in the lounges? Only in Lake Tahoe, because we were only twenty minutes. It's nothing for a band that wants to play, right? So we says, "Can we do a show after we're done with Jim in the showroom, the South Showroom?" And they say, "Absolutely." I mean, for fun. We didn't get paid. Okay. Just to play. Got it. We, we were like missing, I mean, 
15, 20 minutes. You I do know, you're on and you're songs off. And you're off. It's nothing. Yeah. So you wanted to play more. Yeah. So wow. being that we were a draw, they after we, every time we worked with him there, they'd have us work, do a late show, and we'd pack. Man, okay, so so then you become Cedros Armada, mm-hmm. and um, at that point, were you mainly performing in Vegas? Or were you still kind of traveling around? We're still traveling. We're still doing a lot of gigs in in, uh, in, Can- in Canada. I work Canada a lot. Okay. But in California, we're doing a lot of gigs there in Pomona, Riverside, all those little towns that we worked before. And, and we were working here at the Sahara probably during that period. Uh, we, we, we opened a lot of casinos, and we closed a lot of them, too. What, uh, okay, so some of the older Las Vegas casinos you played... Well, I, we uh, we our first our first gig was at the old uh, Aladdin. Oh, interesting! Which is Milton, of course now Milton, Planet Hollywood. Yeah, Milton, Milton Pearl's uh, Aladdin was, was called. Okay. Yeah, and, and then from there they um, uh, we went to the uh, frontier, the old frontier. They had a great. I got a great Elvis story about that. Do you want to hear that? Yeah, absolutely. We're playing the frontier. This great lounge seats like four hundred, and we're new, right? The the market's huge. Beverly and the sneakers. We look at this like 30 people in the 400 seating room. This one night, Bobby Darren's in the showroom, right? Okay. And um, and I can see the door from where I'm at, so I, I, I'll do a song that'll get their attention, right? So um, as they're coming out. Because you know exactly when they're going to be coming out. Yeah. And so I, you, a guy walks out the door and says, Oh my God, that's Elvis. He had gone to see Bobby Darren, right? And Elvis was my idol in high school. I used to do all the Elvis songs. So you're standing there and you're seeing Elvis I'm, I'm, I'm walk seeing, out. I'm playing and I can see him coming out of the showroom from the, the door opens. <laughs> His entourage, about 40 people's right behind him. And right behind them is half of the showroom, right? Following Elvis. Where right. he's going, they want to go with Elvis the King. Right. So he walks right up to the entrance of the lounge. He's checking out my, my wife at the time, Beverly. <laughs> and, and I don't blame him. And he stops and he's, and he's going like this. And if it would have been me now, me now would have done the same. Would have done his. <laughs> right, right. That's amazing. So, what does he do? Here's my. Don't forget, he's my idol, right? Okay. And we're at the tail end of our show. He walks in and he, and he filled up the room. By the way, we only had like thirty people. He so, filled, filled up the room when he walked in. They all followed him in there. Wow. So Elvis walks into the lounge. He just walked right. It's just right in front of the stage. About uh, right in front of me. Wow. Right? And, and I said, oh, shit, i got to play my solo on the Kings here. <laughs> you, I'm 21, 22 years old, but I'm a, I'm a person of pressure. Yep. The athlete in me comes up, yep. you know? So I said, God be with me, and I sat down and played my butt off. Afterwards, he asked if he could come meet the band, you know, and I said, of course, are you kidding me? And he, and he comes over and shakes my hand, looks at me, and says, I'm going to break your fingers, boy, you know? Because <laughs> he was a... He wanted to play guitar real bad. He did. Not sure. And, and from then on, and the, to continue the story, he was opening up. This was about a Wednesday or Thursday. He was going to open up on Monday at the Hilton. Mm-hmm. Had been rehearsing there. And he wanted us to come to his opening. We couldn't because we were working. Of course. And, and uh, no, it was, he was going to open on a Wednesday. Sorry, I mean to retract that. Anyway. So what is this? He says, do you guys want to come to see me? Yeah. And so guess what he did? He went to the top people upstairs. He says, I will pay for a band for Cedros to come see us at the Hilton. 
And he did that. So he paid for a band to replace you for that well, night. That night. So yes. you could go to his opening. Yes. And we sat right here in front of him. He put the first scarf ever. He had just gotten out of the service. He put the first scarf on Beverly's neck, and he and that's what he did after that. You know? Wow. And, uh, and that's she, an incredible story. It's true. And, and and he became, he was a karate guy. And Sal was into karate big time, my brother. Okay. And I did a little bit of it. So he started doing all that, and he started coming over, throwing kicks and doing this, showing off for, for my wife, Beverly. Right. <laughs> and right. Beverly was looking at me like, mm. <laughs> I said, Bev. Go out with him. Go out to dinner with him. It's the king. It'll be in the news. And she says, but what if he wants more? I says, that, and then that's up to you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. That's incredible, though, yeah. to get to actually meet and speak with. And, oh, and, he, and all the parties, after we were done, he, he always would send uh, somebody to come get us to go to his party, and he spent half, half the night with us instead of all. You could name every movie star in the world, and they were all there to see him. And he spent half of the night with us. Man, that's so cool. Us. He was a, such a down-to-earth guy, man. That's what I've heard. And, that, and I also, I have to say this, because I'm, 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 I'm not a, a gay person you know, at all, but this guy was the prettiest man hmm. in person. The movies didn't do him justice at all. Interesting. And you could feel the warmth in, when he shook you, your hand. I felt something go up my arm, just like when I met uh, Frank Sinatra. Mm. Same thing. Those two people did that to me. This thing went up my arm and says, what was that? Wow. I guess it's uh, something that they possess. Is, that's why they were mega stars. Right. Wow. They had a certain aura about them. They did. They right? did. So they, how, tell me about when you met Frank Sinatra. Well, Frank Sinatra, I, just, I didn't get to know. I, I got to know Jilly, his, his right-hand man. Okay. And Because and, uh, he had a lot to do with us working with a lot of the people in the mob. That, uh, yep. you know, yep. And uh, so he introduced me to Frank a couple of times. Fr Frank was the kind of guy that he, he, he gets into the older, I was young then, with the real older people talking about the Italian and all this, combalis and all that. I said, nice knowing you, Frank, you know. But uh, but he was he's a gentleman. Okay. He says, I, I hear you use kids up there. He says, he says, you sound good. Nice. Oh, yeah, was that. But that was good enough. That must have felt good coming yeah. from him. Yeah. I yeah. mean. Almost as good as those handshake. Yeah. For <laughs> old blue eyes to say, <laughs> you, you, you sound, sound good. You sound good. He doesn't have to say that. No. Right? He, what a classy person. Oh, my God. Uh, Elvis was wild on stage. Sinatra was like, Mr. Clean got the suit, the shirt open. Right. A little drink. He never drank really, though. Right, just completely different personas. That's all. I mean, you, you look at this man, and, and he, you're engrossed. Watch and see what he's going to do or sing. He had that thing about him. Right. Yeah. Right, I know. Some intangible quality, right, <laughs> that you, makes you want to watch them. Oh, yeah. And can't take your eyes off them. Yeah. You um, should write a song with that. Can't, can't get my eyes off of you. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Give it to the Four Seasons. <laughs> um, let's talk about... Your songwriting and and what what inspires you to write well, songs? Well, you know, um, I did my share of partying in this town. Everybody did in the late seventies, eighties. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, you name it. And, but but every night, if I was hanging out, chasing girls, or getting high, or drinking, whatever, uh -huh. Uh -huh. when the sun comes up, ma'am, I'm out of there. No matter what I'm doing, I'm out of there. Mm. It's time to go home. 
I got had a little studio about like this, and uh, and uh, and I'd go in there and and I played everything in my songs, the okay. drums, the bass, the vo- all the vocals, everything. And so, yes, so uh, instruments just come naturally yes. to you, kind of right. And I can figure them out if I don't never play my night. I need a keyboard part. I'll just learn it. Okay, but I'd write about a lot of times about what was going on that night, or what stories, or I'd hear a hook at the bar. And, and like, uh, I, for instance, this uh, a rock song that I wrote. Uh, this guy's talking about this guy, this and that is. He's a bad mother. That I said, bad mother. I wrote a song called Bad Mother. Okay, you know. But that's where all the ideas come from. Usually from people listening to people. You know. That well, that's good. I mean, I think um, a lot of songwriters just talk about being aware of things that are being said around them. Yes, and things that. Oh, pop into their brain like, oh, that's an interesting line or phrase. Totally. Let me make a note of that, and I can I can take that and expound on You've that. You've probably done that yourself. Absolutely. Because uh, because you know you're zoned in on on your music, and somebody is something you don't know who that person is, but you hear it. And I used to write down things down on napkins and put them in my pocket so that I'd have it when I got home. Right. And not write a song that night, finish it. Yeah. Right. Because a lot of times, if you don't write it down, you forget it. Oh yeah. You know, you'll forget it or, oh, yeah. Yeah. you know, wake yeah. up in the middle of the night with an idea. If you don't write it down, it's going to be gone in the morning. Oh, totally. That used to upset me. Yeah. I'd get home and I'd say, oh, it's just, I'd go turn my stuff on and, and then have me a, a, a drink or a glass of milk or something at 5.30 in the morning now. And I, I says, you know, I, can't, I can't, couldn't sleep when the sun was coming up. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, so I says, well... I'm just going to sit here and think, well, that'd last about 10 minutes. Then I'd be back in the music room. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, you know, you've done so much over the years. You've, you've, you've led bands. You've written music. You play all these instruments. Um, what piece of advice would you give to kids these days that are looking to become professional musicians. I know it's it's a different world. Totally different. You know? Oh, yes. The, uh, these kids have tools for everything nowadays. But I think that the, the bottom line is that too many times kids copy somebody. You know? They have to learn to get away from that screen or whatever and just sit down and play and see, see what they come up with. Mm-hmm. Don't try to sound like nobody. Just do what you feel in your heart. You Find know? your own voice. Yes, yes. Because a lot of times, we, I used to do that when I first started writing, you know. Matter of fact, a real fast story. Yeah. I, I, when I, I recorded with it uh, uh, in Clovis, New Mexico. At, uh, in, um, do, you, do you remember the intro to uh, Peggy Sue, the guitar thing? Yeah. Yeah. That was stolen from me, but by, by Norman Petty stole that from me. Really? I went to record it with a group called The Gliders, and, uh, and they did one of my songs and says, who wrote that song? There was some nice instrumental stuff on there. He says, Cedro did. And he says, uh, I got Norva Jack Productions. How do I remember that? That was a publishing company. He says, I got, it says, I got a company. Can you send me some songs? And I sent him about four or five songs in a little cassette tape. Okay. And my first song was, I love you, Mary Lou. They put Peggy Sue on it. It was not copyrighted or nothing. Oh, my goodness. That was yours. Yeah. Did you ever try to do anything about it? No. No. Well, that's that's pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. That was oh. a hell of an intro. I'm, 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 I think I 
I'm kind of gifted with intros. Interesting. Guitar yeah. licks and stuff. Yeah. I got a million rhythm things, you know, that I'd like to show you something. Yeah, because the hooks and, and all those is what grabs people's ears, right? And yes. And and if you can get a if you get the hook of the song and you got a hook with a sound, like I always look for a sound musically. Mm -hmm. Also it would become people work for that. But a different sound. Yes. Not just a guitar sound or a piano. Combine something to make that ding, 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 ding sound different. Right. Yeah. Wow. Well, and, and I bet you that's that came in handy for you. Uh, in the studio. Yeah, in the studio, right? Yeah. Recording, because yeah. you heard something in your head. Yes. Like, okay, let's try this, let's try this. So what is Cedro Garcia doing now? I know you're songwriting, well, right? Yes. Well, you know what happened, Jamie, is that I was going to try to retire this year. And, and I don't know if I could have. I mean, I'm still playing almost. I, I but probably have better chops today than I did. So you're still out playing? No, I'm not, I haven't played since the pandemic. But you play at home all oh, the time? Almost every day. I, I never practiced in the last 20 years. I've been practicing every day. Wow. With tracks, writing this, doing that. But what happened is the pandemic kind of retired me. Mm. The, the two best jobs that I had was, was one was way up north in Wendover. You probably heard that. It was yep. always on Facebook. Yeah. And and top dollar. I mean, you know, the guys were making twelve hundred a week and stuff like that, and rooms and everything. Right. And um, that they closed on for good. No entertainment oh, at all. Oh, they did. And the other one was terrible. It's up here in Gene. Okay. They they they're gonna implode that one here pretty soon. Wow. So those those are my two aces in the whole. I and I have I, I have a gig in that for the uh, Aquarius in, in Laughlin. Okay. And I agreed to. I said, give me the dates. I says, I, I, I might want to see if I can still uh, play because it's four one-hour sets a night. And, and lately, I, I've, been, I've, been, I've got neuropathy. Mm. And my, my fingers have been cramping up. Okay. You know? So when that goes, you got to stop playing. Right. But luckily, nothing's happened here yet. Your left but, hand's but this, okay with the strings. But, yeah, but, but this hand, I'll, I'll be playing. All of a sudden, things go like that, mm. and I can't really hold a bit. Okay. So, so I says maybe I'll try because uh, it's two weekends, four nights a week. Mm -hmm. you know? I says I can probably get myself to do that, even if it's killing me. I can get through it. Okay. And I'll, I'll I want to find out if I still enjoy being around the band, yeah, the, the music, yeah. Because today's musicians are a different breed than where I come from. Yeah. Okay. To me, I, I'm I'm the the oldest guy pretty much in town now. Okay. And and I I feel like some people should stay in touch with me and they don't mm. they don't no, no calls I call everybody I do elders or not sure. I just call my friends sure you know yep because they're important to me yep and and uh, I and and they says wow oh, can't believe believe you're calling me I says why not you're my friend you yeah. come, you've been watching me for years yeah without you we wouldn't have been a good band. Yeah. You know? Right. Yeah. I mean, bands need audiences. Yep. And audiences and, and need bands. That's how I feel about, about that is that we got to, it shouldn't be just when you're working together. If you're friends, you're friends. That's true. You, you know? And that's that, true. And if you ain't got a gig, so what? You're still my friend. Well, all right. Over the years, what stands out to you as far as, you know, a performance that you did or I know the Elvis story, that's a big one. Yeah. What stands out to you as like, man, that was, that was an amazing show we just did. You oh. know, 
Like I was saying, we worked Canada a lot. We, okay. signed, we signed a, a five-year contract with Western International Hotels, okay. Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary, uh, Winnipeg, Toronto, Montreal. And they, they all wanted us to do four, four weeks at a time. So I you says, keep rotating. Oh, no, this guy wants to go here in one shot. I says, when do I get home? Right. So we cut it down. But we did a show in, in Edmonton. And uh, we opened up for uh, uh, Glenn, Glenn Campbell and what was his wife at the time? Uh, Jeez, I'm not sure. Uh, oh. Anyway, they were fighting. They were drinking. Fighting, I mean, she's slapping the hell out of him uh, before. Wow! As as we're uh, getting done, and there's like a thousand people there, and we had just ass. okay. We had had two songs that we recorded there in in, uh, in Edmonton. Okay, be number one. Oh wow! Yeah, and nobody bought them because we didn't have nobody to distribute the records. Mm. Same old story, right? Mm. But the people knew the name Cedros Armada. Interesting. And I couldn't believe when we walked out, they have the audience. Wow. Anyway. That's, and, wow, that's That fantastic. was cool. Yeah. But what impressed me when I saw Glenn, oh my God, her name, can't remember her name, fighting like they were, time to do the show, bam, like nothing ever happened. They went out there and killed it. Wow. Yeah. Like that's it. We're yeah. we're the best of friends I, right now. Talk about professionals! Oh wow, that's crazy. I kept thinking, how are they going to go on there? And were they? And it was just like a light switch was flipped. It was, it was unbelievable. Wow, um, wow, Cedro, uh, we could talk for hours. We could. on so many things, but uh, I I, I want to wrap it up just by really how honored I am to talk with you today. You. You are literally a, a legend mm -hmm. in the lore of, of Las Vegas, headliners, lounge performers, show bands. Um, everybody in town looks up to you and, and what you, you've Jamie. done over the years. So uh, honored to honor to speak with you. Thanks so much, Cedro. It's my pleasure to me because I'm a big fan of yours also. Oh, that's, and that's, Jerry and the Fat City Horns. You know, you. I'm there about two, three, four times a year. I know. I know. We love it. Yeah, we love it. It's great. Thank you, Jamie. Thanks, Cedro. You have been listening to the Chic Compass Connection podcast. To learn more about Chic Compass magazine, visit chiccompass.com. That's C-H-I-C-C-O-M-P-A-S-S dot -S com. This is Jamie Hosmer. Thanks for listening.